Welcome back to the Broken Pose Yawpcast for January 13th, 2020. Our first yawp of the new year and the new decade featuring poet Shira Ehrlichman leading the workshop and kicking off the open mic. I am your host once again, Jason Koo. I myself was not present at this job because I was trying to vacation in Brazil uh, and still doing work in the meantime, but we were in good hands with the opera of the year, Julia Knobloch, guest emceeing. A big thank you to her for doing that. This month's open mic lineup featured Gerald Wagoner, Bonnie Belay, Robin Romeo, Ellen Rittberg, Brenda Mara, Harvey Sauce, Kayla Schwab, Tim Gerber-Flurry, Todd Friedman, Madeline Phillips, Kyle Brosnahan, Dan Varley, Kim Brandon, Phil Eggers, Mike Fresentes, Arthur Russell, Judy Schneier, Bill Livingston, Constantine Jones, Lily Greer, Sarah Weck, Shara Hardison, and last but not least, Fausta Jolie. So, without further ado, let's get right to the action. The Brooklyn Poets Yop Open Mic for January. Enjoy. Welcome back. This is the Brooklyn Poets Open Mic Yop. Um, Usually there's a guy who's um, running this. His name is Jason Koo, but he's in Brazil right now. So he asked me to guest MC for him. My name is Julian Ablak. Um, thank you, Arthur. Right. So um, this is amazing. Give yourself all an amazing applause because this is a huge crowd. And it's great to kick off the new year um, with that. So we are running a little bit behind, and this is all for good reasons, because there are so many people, which is great. Um, let me think. What do I need to say first? Um, I want to go over some rules, and I got a lot of rules to tell you. So the most important rule is that everyone gets three minutes max on the mic. So one poem, one poem preferably one poem, 30 uh, three minutes ma max. You totally threw me off here. Uh, <laughs> also, we record the open mic, which is um, the internet famous open um, um, Yap podcast. Um, I know Jason is keeping track on how many likes there are. I think we are over 25 star reviews. And I know it's important that more people add reviews. So please go listen to it and rate us five stars. Um, Oh, if anyone does not want to be included um, in the open mic, um, please let me know or any of the staff, um, and then we take you out, and you are not going to be broadcast. Um, remind uh, everyone, please rem um, remember to speak into the mic so that the recording goes very well. And another um, important feature of our YAP is that we vote for Poem of the Month at every YAP. So um, the 12 winners of each month are going to compete at the end of the year for the um, Poem of the Year Smackdown in December. Um, 
there is a phone number that I will give you that you are going to text the, uh, your preferred poem to. Um, please wait until every poet has read so that you have a fair, that everyone has a fair chance. Um, and also it has happened in the past that some people ask friends who are not in this room to text in favor of their poem. Please do not do that. Um, I want to share what Jason says about that. It's super shitty and we will get them banished to the deepest circle of Dante's Inferno. So, <laughs> so no. Um, all right, I think this should cover it. And um, we usually start off the open mic with the um, teacher who taught the workshop, which tonight is Sheila Ehrlichmann. And um, I also want to say she has two workshops coming up with Brooklyn Poets. Um, one is God of Boat and Mouth and Ear. It's poetry and love with the ordinary. It starts February 19th. And there's a second one that's called Creating a Book, A Little Universe in Your Hands, which starts on March 26th. I know the February 9th one is on the sheet that some of you may have. Um, the other one is online and you can look that up. Um, yeah, so without further ado, I want to um, welcome back Shira. Where is she? Here. There you go. What did I teach you? You keep Thank you, wow, that is childlike. Okay, hi everyone. Hi. You look real nice. Aww. I don't know. <laughs> I've never been on a date, as you can tell. <laughs> this is, <laughs> you look real nice. Just 1950s sparkle in my eye. All right, I'm gonna read you two poems, and this one is a true story. <laughs> they're all true, because they're about mental illness, but this one is a true story and it happened in my apartment and it's called Baby and I. <sighs> That's it. That's all you need. Okay. <laughs> Baby, come help me. Honey, pass me a flathead. Greg the plumber has been here before. Replaced a radiator. Hit on me. Today he's flanked by Nick and Paco. Or Baby and honey. Nick, a six-foot dude in dirty elbows in his mid-twenties and a wolf beard, oafs over to Greg, who strokes a clanging vent in my bedroom. Thank you. In and out the hallway, honey begins the group task of carrying large pieces of sink out my front door, glimmering white bones of former infrastructure. Everyone is busy, but Nick finds me in the kitchen. I saw your textbook in there. You got bipolar too? <laughs> it is so like me to leave private thoughts loudly on my bed. Yes. I take meds and everything. Zyprexa and Seroquel, you? When I say lithium, it is a fact. Like telling him what city I was born in and finding out he's from there too. <laughs> Baby grins. <laughs> when he laughs, he claps his hands together like he just came in from the cold. He could not be my brother, but he is my darling. I want to slice a peach for him or at least fetch a glass of water, so I do 
but as soon as I love him, he is gone. Years ago, I would have said, nope, but there's a wolf grinning in my bathroom, baby, taking everything out piece by piece but the air. You're so nice. All right, here's one more. It's called Unwished For. Thank you guys so much. You're really lovely. I'm standing in my town's ice cream shop when I notice them. The white couple smiling at me. Blonde woman standing beside a mailbox, waiting patiently for news. Husband reassuringly placing a hand on her shoulder. The flyer that they're on is pink, international color of positivity in the face of infertility. They are having a hard time, my couple. That's why they're here, in my ice cream shop. But they have faith. They're trying, haven't quit wanting what they want in spite of it all. Could you be the one? I lick the crest of my cone slowly. Examine their bullet-pointed criteria. 21 to 42 years. It's not conscious, but somewhere inside a voice says, check. No criminal record. Check. No history of mental illness. I say, out loud to the paper, <laughs> Not caring if the teenager behind me churning into an icy chunk with a steady fist hears, I say, I know this is different, Susan, Jim, <laughs> but I would never wish Frida to not have been hit by that trolley. I would never look her in the face and say, I choose to unmake you and your paintings and your horroring heart. I rob the woods of your little deer. It's different, Susan says. You're not Frida, which is, which is rough. Yeah. <laughs> Plus, adds Jim, that was physical, a freak accident. Try another argument. What they don't want of me lives. It sees through my eyes that they would prefer it dead. It knows better than to whimper or show defeat. What they don't want of me breathes. Eugenicists, it says. The woman gasps, <gasps> hand to chest. It continues. You want to spare yourselves. That's not love. We don't want her to suffer, they chime in unison. Oh? Her? <laughs> it was decided. A girl. Claire. Or Vanessa. Or Claire. She'd have red curls, love olives, and sing in her sleep. She doesn't want to suffer either. I peel the words open slowly, but she'd rather be alive than not suffer. I am not talking to a piece of paper in Harold's ice cream shop. I am not invoking Frida. I am not naming an unloved ghost, Claire. I'm licking my wrist of a smudge of strawberry cream 
listening to the terrible top 40 hit blaring overhead. I'm staring at the words, no history of mental illness, trying to move my feet and leave the world where this is taped up, natural as the moon. Will the Norman Rockwell of our time paint me standing here before it in my jean cutoffs, finishing what's left of a soggy cone, drugs in my blood, unwished for by strangers. Thank you. Thanks, y'all. No, I see that. Thank you so much again, Shira. Actually, um, there are two chairs left up front. I mean, there are so many people standing, so it's just going to be a little remedy. But if there are two people who really want to sit, there are two chairs. All right, so um, before we start the open mic, um, those who don't have the number to vote, um, to text to, to vote for, it is 718-374-1953. I'll repeat the number throughout the evening. So. Um, 718-374-1953. Um, and we are going to start with the first reader. Um, of course, it's already difficult because I cannot decipher the name. It looks like Jeremy. Jerry? Jerry? Yeah. Pardon? Oh, <laughs> well, I know <laughs> Gerald Wagner, so <laughs> I could not, I would not have been able to decipher your last name. Please welcome Gerald Wagner. Um, this poem has two stories about it, but I'm only going to tell you one. Uh, it was about you know, three years ago. Some 13-year-old said something on the street, and I went, that's curious. So. Yeah. Yeah, like this? Yeah, sure. Okay, got it. No one ever. She said it was an old Italian restaurant no one ever went to. I remember back in the day when nobody ever went there. I went there. <laughs> I liked it, nobody ever went there. There were other people there who never went there, and you would see them there occasionally back before everyone went there. That's why nobody went there anymore. Everyone was there. Before everyone went there, Men wore narrow-brim fedoras with patterned hat bands and a little feather, women, pearls, and heels. In cool weather, everyone wore long, somber, sober coats. No one spoke beyond the table. Everyone whispered. After nobody went there and everybody went there, no one ever went there. It was best then, because when you went there, everyone who was anyone was somewhere else. <laughs> and we too could, at last, clasp hands and murmur in discreet undertones. I'm the MC now, I have to know it by myself. 
Thank you so much, Jets. Gerald Wagner. Um, I'm not going to do as much banter as Jason. First of all, I'm not as good as it. And also, um, we have so many people here. So um, the next one is um, a YAB regular. Her name is Bonnie Bidet. Bonnie. Um, this is one of five poems I had published last month in Black Cackle. <laughs> I didn't get what I did on Jason's letter, which I was so impressed by everybody's achievements. I was just blown away. But I did get 14 pub poems accepted for publication last year. Yeah. So this is one of the five from in Black Cackle. On TV. It's very dark in here. I told, <laughs> I'm told I will never have sex unless I get an expensive car. This is not true. I've never bought a new car. Pharmaceutical, <laughs> pharmaceutical companies dispense wisdom as if anyone believes information from pharmaceutical companies. Johnson & Johnson did nothing about the asbestos it found in baby powder decades ago. People have died. Yesterday, I heard on Channel 4, if you get genital herp gangrene from using Genuvia, you can be compensated. Genuvia is a drug I've used for prediabetes. Why didn't I know this? What the hell is genital gangrene? <laughs> In what circle of hell is this a possibility? I turn on Animal Planet. <laughs> How many vet shows can I watch? How many calves pulled from cows living and dead? How many legs amputated? If you see a horse castrated, do you need to see an alpaca castrated? <laughs> I start streaming Netflix. <laughs> Thank you, Bonnie. The next reader is Robin Rome. Uh, I, thank you. I think the, the last letter was missed. It's Romeo. Yeah. Oh, there's the O is like very far away. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, this is entitled. After Alice Coltrane's journey in Satchitananda. The bass, my gospel heartstrings that drum my hollow chest from beginning past end, inexhaustible fluid signature cadence of slow swaying voice balancing positive and negative. I move toward bliss, sure footed, each step indelible. I am not alone. We walk on walls in the world bereft of footing. We know which way up is. We build an earth to touch sky, bless the skilled steps of our chosen direction. And the gospel heart, all along the surface of its flow, fingers sequenced like rain droplets, pluck the great harp, bathed in magnetized blood, playing back through us. Legacies notated into the voice of it, Music plucked with the time signature of a little bird's heart, whistling the gospel heart's melody 
sung by chords of the bass finding their timber in the wafer-enclosed body, air in flow, eddies spinning harmonics, ancestral nuance in iron-rich blood. The foundation of all evocation, all genres born of sound is planted here, all entry into trance, safe passes through to what awaits with welcome, and the horns buzz, dawn shanai through smoke and new light, a billion prayers rising, a rush of whispers, chants, mental meter, in petition to the fields of bliss at the border of the universe, shorn of all else, vista of which we cannot conceive, the gate of crossing between world of duality and that which isn't world, universe of non-matter within the self, heard now in whispers, toms, traps, handheld bells, sometimes slipped round the ankle to blend with rhythmic, rhythmic dust rising, the stamp and foot shuffle, chimes glissando, meeting harp sound, mid-mind, spirit liberated into the realms of beginning, tambura fuzzing, ringing, echoing the gospel heart, soothed along the great bass line. Thank you. Thank you so much. That was Robin Romeo. All right, the um, next reader is um, a regular at the Yab, and she is um, um, an amazing poet, and she is also a playwright, and um, her name is Alan Boba-Ritberg. Yeah. Uh, there. You said over there earlier. Thank you very much. And congratulations on being the Yawp, Yawp of the Year. Um, this was published, I just found out, can you take a picture of me? Sorry for the <laughs> egotism. Uh, this was just published in Sensitive Skin. It's called Dig. People without teeth depress me. <laughs> Is that wrong? Wrong-headed, as does the lady in the subway cleaving to her whoever he is, husband, boyfriend, lover, eyes, almost closed, unseeing. Is she blind? Is she foreign? I mean, Scandinavian, really foreign. She is murmuring. Is she asleep? Is she his daughter? I take snaps of subway sleepers. Is it wrong? I don't know. <laughs> Writers are extreme bloodsuckers. Give me a situation, an image, and I'll tease out the integument. It's my specialty. Or eating a dried-out orange. I'm not particular. Shall I hate myself? I won't contradict myself. It's been done. Shall I acquaint you with an orange Julius, the deli king, the hamburger haven replete with the just folks, worker people of days done, when we stood when we ate, proletarians all. Some subways had woven seats, baskets cradling the leaner souls, wearing bowler hats, fedoras, cloches, Hamburgs. Getting older means fighting invisibility. I feel I am compost shrinking. Less mass, more air, more particulate. I wasn't always. I need to think tall, else I feel disembroiled, disassembled, loose-limbed, 
I fell two times in three weeks, but not any time recently. Felt disaffected with my formerly familiar place within space, the interstices. Disambiguated, but not down for the count, not even for a breather. Dig. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Alan. The next person just put um, their first name, Brenda. Yeah, that's All right, there you go. <laughs> Let's see. Just a little bit. That's perfect. Can you hear me? Okay, this is only my second time doing this in my life. So. Last time I brought the head of a lion because I wrote a poem about the open mic because I went home because I did not had the guts to read my poems because I was too afraid of the mic. But today I'm not. So, <laughs> so I'm reading a poem and um, I kind of wrote this poem here in New York because I realized the world is quite is here. It's like everywhere, everyone, like Chinese, Indian, like you can feel like you have Korea, everything. So I wrote this poem here, but um, it just happens that when I was about 16, I went to Italy and I realized that I wasn't myself because I ate a bowl of pasta and I realized that I like it better than rice and beans. And then I said, wait, I think I have to travel the world and discover who I really am because I'm just a product of my mom and dad and the Brazilian society of some sort. So name of the poem is called Citizen of the World. I am a citizen of the world. A dismembered atom into the many seas and soils my feet have touched. An accumulation and integration of alien atoms the interchange. I have given so much. I have taken so much. A steady balance revitalized my being. I'm metamorphosed. From every culture and every country, I carry a little. Every soil, every sense, every scent. I walk the streets and don't see merrily faces. I see places. Not just flowers, but fields in its prime atmosphere. My atoms react. They want to bind. I am a product of globalization, the innermost creation, citizen of the world. <laughs> I'll be less nervous even the following time. All right, that was Brenda. So I'm just going to repeat the first five readers. Um, Brenda, Ellen Ritberg, Robin Romeo, Bonnie Billet, and Gerald Wagoner. And we are on to Harvey Sauce. I, I saw you come. There you go. Author. Welcome to the mic. Thank you, Mr. Mike. 
first, I'd like to invite you, I've been panning out these flyers, to a monthly open mic that I host at the historic, which it actually is, Montauk Club in Park Slope, right around the corner from the Grand Army Plaza subway station. The next one being this Saturday from 4 to 6. It's usually about 5 to 7 minutes, sometimes more, for each open micer. Sometimes there's features, sometimes there's not. Uh, I think that there are some flyers still on the table over there. The poem that I'm going to read today is called Wild Thing, I Think I Love You. And I'm not talking about you all. I'll never tell you. Okay. <laughs> hey. Maybe it was one kindred spirit recognizing another. The northern goshawk seeing in me a sort of deep woods Hawkeye character, undomesticated as he was, though of a less enduring nature. Living an outdoors life yet unable to put down roots. Perhaps that's why he let me feed him mice from my kitchen being in no short supply, nor trapped rabbits that will never trouble a garden again. Once, I remember, he took a live mouse from my hand while I held the creature by its tail, holding steady as an artist's model, showing no fear my newfound friend could have sensed and jumped on, claws and beak rending flesh beyond the healing properties of unguents and band-aids. If not quite a confidant during a short stay recalibration of getting myself straight, then certainly a sometime companion who might perch on the peaked roof of my rental cabin several times a week, more quietly than any provincial theater group's reprise of Fiddler on the Roof. <laughs> a Tevye more interested in mice than money, prey than prayer. From his favored spot next to an unmoving weather vane, likely not oiled in this century, he watched me chop wood and stack it, withdraw captured rabbits from cages to be shared out for supper, starting a neighborhood tradition. I didn't feed him, clearly male, every time I saw him, not wanting him to become too dependent on my handouts, lose those hunting skills he would continue to need when I was gone. It was an understanding that we had, nothing of the broke back mountain sort, nothing Freudian about it, just a couple of wild things sometimes sharing a meal in the main woods. Occasionally, in a role reversal, he would bring me some bird he had caught, knifed out of the sky, a lesser aerialist on the circus food chain, dropping it near me as if repaying a debt, as a cat might. I would make a show of accepting it gratefully, proudly marching the dead thing into the house where I coffined it in an appropriately sized Ziploc to be buried after he had flown away. No disrespect intended or taken. In this manner, we passed several months together while I searched for my voice and he grew into his wings, yellow eyes reflecting his adolescence, acting the part of a Stephen King manifestation, stalking small mammals, if not grown men. The raptor wasn't there to see me go, fully fledged by then and probably out hunting. 
For my part, I had achieved some small measure of wilderness self-sufficiency. Having learned from his example how to tear the still beating heart out of a living thing. Thank you, Harvey. The next poet um, is a um, friend of mine whom I met in um, a recent um, Brooklyn Poets workshop, and she's a beautiful poet. Um, please welcome Kayla Schwab. Um, thank you all for being here. I've had the wildest day of up and down, um, but it's just nice to be here with all of you. It's very grounding, and thanks to my friends for showing up to support. Um, I actually wrote this poem in the workshop that I took with Julia. Um, it's called La Jolla, and there's a little um, part in the beginning. Local Native Americans, the Kumayoi, called this location Mat Kulahoi, Land of Holes, an alternative pseudo-etymological suggestion for the origin of the name is that it is an alternative spelling of the Spanish word La Jolla, which means the jewel. The San Diego coastline, like half-moon thighs, quakes, tides rushing in, sharp, and cold as crystal, shocking the Earth's boundaries into fading, a sea that swallows must spit back, but her jaw is heavy with centuries of sand, strange men making jewels with calloused hands, melting down her debris. La Jolla is a land of holes, lost to time and translation, born of a buried language that I know so little about, though I too have been naked and numb on the coast, looking inland, Pillages patter in her caverns, memories vivid, ahoy, ahoy, like salt, stinging her cheeks. La Jolla is the farthest I've wandered from the east. How surprised I was to see the sun setting in a place where I expect it to rise. Over the sea, I carry with me three sand dollars with holes bored into them, doveless, with a piece that's hard to come by. Thank you. Beautiful. Thank you, Kayla. Um, the next one is also a Brooklyn Poets regular and an amazing chef, Tim Gerber-Flurry. Give it up for him. All right. Give it up for Julia. Yeah. So th this one is about when you find yourself home in a place where you neither come from or live in and you have very little chance to go back to. No desert in France. At the bottom of the canyon, the riverbed dry, my tongue parched outside Mohab. I lie in the dust, my gaze to the clouds, my wife's hand in mine. We will make love in the desert tonight. Not shower for five days, sand and salt from dry sweat on our upper lips and temples. 
I stand in the middle of the brush, smoke from wildfires obscuring the red rocks around, like the kind of dream where you can't really distinguish the background. Perched atop millennial cracked earth crust, all I can do is watch it move through time and feel small, burst my lungs singing with the wind. In a kitchen, a different kind of sweat pearls at my brow, chopping and tossing deep in Brooklyn. My arms and hands bear burns I wish came from the desert, little specks of bright pink skin. Although in truth, the desert doesn't burn raw like bowling grease does, <clears throat> it is far gentler, crawls under the skin, turns it scarlet, and then leaves the permises of the epidermis. Une brûlure magnanime. I miss the hot sand, the bald rocks, the dry plants and their names in my parents' tongue. Silice, gypse, grès, genévrier. In a garden away from the city, I will plant ocotillos and Joshua trees, house coyotes and snakes and ravens. Il sera le leur avant d'être le mien. But the, desert, but the desert will remain where it has always been. So I will visit it again, like an old friend. He will embrace me of its warmth, slowly seep into me, burn me. Sway with me in a fever dream. Show me goblins, figures running from inside of the smoke, ghosts of the Virgin Mary, Zion, the promised land. And then release me, push me back, inches, and then feet. I will come back like a son, perdu, et enfin retrouvé. Thank you. Merci beaucoup. Um, the one thing that comes closest to a desert in France might be la dune du Pula in Arcachon. <laughs> I'm not sure. Um, thanks for nourishing us with your poetry and your cuisine. Um, the next one, the next reader is um, also um, was also in the workshop where Kayla and I met, but I have known him before because he is a friend and neighbor, and he lives across the street from me. And his name is Todd Friedman. When I was a kid, if you had told me that it would be between 60 and 70 degrees in January, I would have said you were crazy. And seeing people out in shorts and t-shirts, I would have said you're nuts. And the Polar Bear Club, which meets on January 1st at Coney Island, was founded on the premise that it would be freezing and only certain people would go swimming on that day. So I'm just hoping that what we're experiencing now is not going to be some curiosity that, you know, once upon a time we tell our grandchildren and great-grandchildren, well, there used to be this thing called winter, and there used to be this thing called snow. So uh, I'm going to read a poem called Snowfall. She always felt like she was living in a blizzard. He'd come home from traipsing around the neighborhood with those cursed plastic bags, all filled up with the local papers. Oh, why did they have to give them away? If they weren't free, he wouldn't come home with half the junk he did. It was amazing the way he'd take those bags and empty them out on the table, like he was looking for some kind of treasure. Then he'd just leave them there or dump them on the floor. 
and if she wasn't careful, the piles would mount the way snow does when you're not looking. It was the same way with books. Anytime anyone in the neighborhood threw books away, there he was, dragging them home. <laughs> Sometimes he'd get really lucky, and the people putting them out would bundle them up in stacks. He said it was like saving souls or something like that. What was the point of all this? He was never going to read any of this stuff. He knew it, and she knew it. At least she liked to think he'd know it if he ever bothered to think about it. Then one day, she was going through the latest heap of garbage he'd brought home, like she always did, trying to make order of it and at the same time get rid of things so he wouldn't know the difference. And then suddenly, just as she was about to toss one of his books, she saw the first flurries of the season coming down, and she stood at the window to watch. It was funny. For so many times, she had pictured herself hiring a dumpster and filling it when he wasn't around. She'd even had fantasies of lighting a match to it all. But she found a place on the shelf and slid the book in there. She could deal with his anger. That was one thing. But who would he be? That was the thing that scared her. Thank you, Todd. And, okay, so that was Todd Friedman. Before that, we had Tim Gerber Fleury, we had Kayla Schwab, we had Harvey Sauce, we had Brinder, who now put her last name, Mara. <laughs> we had Alan Ritberg, Robin Romeo, Bonnie Billet, and Gerald Wagner. And um, before I announce the next one, you should all give yourself an applause again, because <laughs> you're still here. And it's very warm, and many people don't have seats, and um, you should be happy about it. There's an open seat right there. Nobody wants to sit next to Arthur. I don't understand that. He's such a nice guy. You should totally sit next to Arthur. Um, yes, and um, we are not even halfway through because we do hope that we get at least to a few readers on the wait list. So I hope that most of you are going to stay, even though it's cramped and hot and... Um, not many seats other than the one next to Arthur. Um, give it up for Ma Madeline Phillips, who is the next reader. Madeline. Uh, Hello. <laughs> it's okay, you're great. Um, this is called Sonnet One. Perhaps this devil called longing persists because I court him at this wicked hour. That would explain the wart on my right wrist, the three hairs on my chin, the milk gone sour. But if this logic holds, why do I lack the cunning to curse your warm nights with her? Sticking dolls with pins is another's craft. Slit a crow's guts, I divine no future, and yet, had I trained in the blackest arts, I would not hex her with my evil eye, nor shrivel and steal your tenderest parts, until, for want of me, you'd waste and die. She brightens your dark days, that I must own, 
No witch am I, but a woman alone. Thank you. Thank you. Madeline Phillips. I will say, Jason sent me the names um, on the list, and he transcribed it, transcribed it, and he did put it correctly, but I just had too much French in my brain <laughs> when I was announcing your name. So, yeah, so there you are. Um, the next reader is, um, so as, as I mentioned, the um, Poem of the Year Award Smackdown, and the next reader is one of the two who won, um, who are sharing the current title of um, Poem of the Year Award. Um, we actually have the other half here reading too tonight, um, but um, for, to, for right now, it's um, Kyle Brosnahan. Yeah, a little less. Thanks, Arthur. We can't all be Julia. Hello, I'm Kyle. All my friends call me Bandito. Love seeing all of you. <laughs> all right, I'm gonna read. Uh, I'm gonna read this poem. It's called uh, "Notes from a Human Being." To be made of carbon has been a blast. <laughs> it's it's been really cool having blood and a heart and stuff. I dig breathing air quite a bit. It feels nice in my lungs. I'm pleased with feeling pleasure. I'm a little bummed about the pain, but whatever. I'll live. I don't know why I have earlobes, but I don't mind. The brain is extraordinary, although I only know what scientists tell me. My toenails grow like bark on a tree. My hair does funny things every day. It's strange and a little scary to think there's so much more universe apart from Earth, and most of it isn't made of carbon. But once again, I'm depending on the scientists. I don't even know what carbon really is, but what really is anything? My nipples get pointy, and <laughs> my skin shrivels when it's cold. I glisten with sweat in the summer heat. I make noises with my mouth, and carbony people like me nod their heads. It's all very nifty, but if I could change one thing, it'd be the cruelty. It's all over the history books, in the back of everybody's heads. It's in the houses. It's in the mail. People like me can be so mean. Children get cruel things done to them. It hurts me to think about. And wars, you know? What's up with them? <laughs> Do they have those on other planets? Innocents mown down like stalks of wheat? Cities leveled, grandparents hung, horses set on fire, people like me turned to dust by people like me. Is it the carbon making us like this? Is it our brains, our hearts? Is it the infinite space above our heads? I don't know, and I don't like it. It'd be pretty rad if we could be more loving and never cruel again. But I guess that's just who we are, whatever that really is. Thank you. Thank you, Kyle. Um, the next reader is Dan Varley. Did I pronounce that correctly? Great. So 
a couple of notes on this one. Uh, first off, the title of the poem, The Gift is Love Gift Shop, is actually in Far Rockaway, if any of you anybody's ever been there. Um, it sells a unique selection of home decor, accessories, jewelries, and personalized gifts. Um, the penultimate stanza borrows a line from C.K. Williams in a, in a very late poem of his. And then I was thinking about a certain recent poetry volume that's come out um, and the acknowledgments that says the last line, may we continue speaking ourselves into the room until the whole world is our room. The gift is love, gift shop, far rock away. Coming home from a weekend in the New Hampshire woods, I stopped at Chili's and ordered the stupidest meal I could dream up. Cheeseburger, half order of ribs, fries, and mozzarella sticks as if I was a feral street urchin with some cash. <laughs> it's a true story. You could say it was the best meal of my life. Forgive the moralizing, my finger isn't wagging, but licking off the hickory seasoning of Chili's baby back ribs. They are so good. <laughs> Years ago, you told me you just wanted to want again. To resurrect desire that left you for a pack of smokes and never came back. Twelve shell-shocked heads in a rec room just bowed in agreement with you and myself. Those nights were almost a decade ago. New Hampshire was two. Now I'm outside the gift is love gift shop thinking of you. Mike Tyson says everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face. <laughs> Didn't know that would get a laugh. Um, <laughs> that's how we met. I got punched too. Here's a gift of love. You can find God's office at the end of your rope. How else explain this crew clinging in late night cafes, finding gristles of wisdom in each other's teeth, sipping on diet drinks, taking away the bitterness of lithium salts with the intimacies that strangers bequeath? No one shows, no one shows because things are going well. Here's another Friday night and Wednesday's clothes, splitting the bill 12 ways, feeling rich with the treasure from having everything stripped away. Tell me you've heard this gift of love, shrunk on coasters for chilled drinks, embroidered on sweaters and keepsakes. Tell me you've picked up that shaking cup. Tell me you've felt that paralysis as the cold wakes you up. Tell me how secrets unfurl to a woman you've just met. Tell me the sweetness of that respite found in this foxhole as the scorched earth campaign continues in your head. Last month at the French place, we looked across 55th and didn't say her name. Back then, they said depression was the flaw in love, inescapable as the norepinephrine, slow dancing with our receptors. It's the fault in her stars the chemistry in her brain, those saccharine bromides yoking us neatly to a fate. Help me rewire what came apart. There's something there not working right. Here, 
come closer. We spend our lives preparing and meet like this. What's left of us is breaking bread and marking another week. Thank you, Dan. Was this your first time here? You haven't been here, okay. So, but welcome back. <laughs> all right. Um, all right. The next, we are halfway. We're um, we're halfway through. Um, we have a lot of um, great poets still lined up. So um, stay tuned and stay focused and um, enjoy um, the next reader, who's Kim Brandon, who's been coming for um, quite regularly for the past year, maybe. Yeah. This is a piece that I wrote this morning. If I can see. We were both exiled. I had you, and you, well, there was me, again. Rejected, scorned, cast aside, mocked from birth. You, you couldn't come back home. And me, I couldn't stay home. We were both exiled. What did you see when you saw me coming? Thirsty for whatever might be left of you. You, black man needing to sleep it off, to recover from the world, to nurse your own demons. Me, needing you, but needing more needing more, needing so much more, more of a way station from suffering, a holdover to remember the fleeting scent of peace, a refuge from want, a foxhole, a shield from scrapnel, a white flag waved, then quickly tucked away. We were both exiled. I earned my keep with food cooked too fast on high flames. Before sleeping the Sunday afternoons away, you kept reminding me to turn the fire down. Be patient, be patient, you said. Let the pot cook the food, not the fire. You could turn your back to me in slumber, knowing that my feather light touches my light spirit would cause no harm. I'd leave the food warming on the stove, slam your door locked, silently thank you for enough pocket change to get to next Sunday. Then I'd head back home, fully aware of the impending ambush. Thank you. Thank you, Kim. The first time I heard Phil Eggers read a poem was about the closing of a bookstore where he went with a date that didn't go so well. And I was like, oh my God, I, I wrote a poem about a bookstore that closed with a date that didn't go so well. It was two different bookstores. They are all closed, but we are still writing poetry and there are still books to buy and stores and poems by Phil Eggers. So give it up for him. Thanks, Julia. 
um, so this is about a breakup I went through recently. It's called I Dreamt of You Again Last Night. <coughs> I dreamt of you again last night. Orange, orange peel, burnt orange, blood orange, lemon, lemon pith, lemon rind, lemon peel, lemon lime spritz, pepper, clove, oak, smoke, horse blanket hay, honeysuckle, honey, honeydew, cantaloupe, Caramel, coffee, toffee, chocolate, mocha, mango, marzipan, lemongrass, wet grass, green grape, red apple, baked apple, apple blossom, blackberry, blueberry, raspberry, strawberry, cherry, black cherry, prune, raisin, plum, peach, pear, apricot, kiwi, kumquat, tangerine, green apple, red grape, ruby red grapefruit, banana, butter, butterscotch, bubblegum, brown sugar, band-aid, barbecue, pomegranate, pumpernickel, pretzel, tequila, rye, bread, bread crust, toast, burnt toast, cranberry, cracker, flour, flour, damp, dank, moss, maple syrup, milkshake, musk, beechwood, butternut squash, Pine tree, pine sap, San Francisco sourdough, cinnamon, sage, sesame seed, clementine, cardboard, chamomile, parsley, paper, rosemary, thyme, chai tea, candied yams, chardonnay, basil, biscuit, jasmine, juniper, marmalade, marshmallow, mushroom, mint, fig, fur, goat fur, date, donut, dragon fruit, graham cracker, granola, walnut, chestnut, peanut, pecan, pancake, pistachio, almond sliver, acetone, licorice, leather, hibiscus, hazelnut, pineapple, papaya, passion fruit, plantain, Toasted coconut, tobacco, coconut shavings, broccoli, green onion, star fruit, star anise, cornflakes, sweet corn, cream corn, tomato soup, bourbon barrel, brandy barrel, rum barrel, cedarwood, cheerio. I dreamt of you again last night. That's so. So beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. Um, the next reader is also from the workshop that I attended with Kada Schwab and Todd Friedman. And by the way, it was led by Laura Eve Engel, whose new workshop I um, will announce at the end of these this evening. Um, but for now, I'm announcing Mike Frizzantes, who also, by the way, yeah, whoo, totally, yes, go give it up. <laughs> uh, but who also um, has started a reading series recently, which is called Flight Recorder. And um, the second edition is happening tomorrow, featuring Arthur Russell and Josephine Blair. And a third poet that I don't know, at least they are not here. Um, but who's here tonight is Mike Frizzantes. <laughs> Thank you, Julia. Um, I that, like I had this whole I, that was I was gonna talk about that, and you just stole my whole ahead, my whole lead in. No, you you did it more justice than I could have. Um, I don't know what to talk about now. Who likes nature documentaries? <laughs> All right, cool. I used to. Uh, this poem's about that. This is uh, falling out of love with nature documentaries. Oh, uh, come talk to me after the show if you want to know more about Flight Recorder or like where it is. Um, falling out of love with nature documentaries. I'm sick of planet Earth. Not the 2020 version, unending, whirling on, despite the world ending on the daily. The 2006 nature documentary. 
I'm sick of David Attenborough's dulcet tones ticking over vultures, picking over dulcet bones of other vultures, or other things rendered and rendered unrecognizable. His voice recognizable. So soothing and British, it reminds me that the natural history of zoos stretches back to the menagerie of the Tower of London, that zoologists were co-conspirators in the great colonial project. The sun never sets on planet England. I think of David Attenborough's dulcet tones ticking over cultures, picking over dulcet bones of other cultures, of histories rendered and rendered unrecognizable. Don't get me started about empire. We don't, we say, have royalty here. And what's a Plantagenet worth? Uh, but we have our own version of planet Earth always narrated by some rich Hollywood liberal happy to give voice to the voiceless for a million dollar check to spend on American football tickets with war criminals. Always American football. That's class solidarity, like how we care about mammalia, adopting koalas with a passion we don't have for adopting kids. How, when I look up the death toll of the brush fires in Australia, there's three headlines about wallabies, specifically wallabies, before one about people. And isn't death toll a little on the nose, something we pay to get where we, were told, want to go? In a dark room, I learn about the fires from a podcast. And the next podcast is BBC Earth, newest spinoff of the media conglomerate built on the bones of bones. But don't get me started about Empire. A second-rate narrator with a David Atten-borrowed affectation tells me all about, wow, that, that really hit. Um, tells me all about chimpanzees in Senegal, where there's brush fires too, and how they've adapted. How they walk around the burning, visibly calm, and how we can learn from this, as if we aren't all already living that way, pretending in a world on fire that everything's fine. I don't want to not worry like they think the chimps do, not with 25 dead and counting, and hopefully someone somewhere is counting. The contradiction. We don't get a planet Earth 2. We did get a planet Earth 2. The last episode of Planet Earth 2 is about cities. Maybe cities are the last episode of Planet Earth 2. I spelt it differently that time. I hope you felt it differently that time too. Don't get me started about Empire. Don't get me started, said the brush fire. Thank you. Thank you, Mike. Yes. And do ask Mike about Flight Recorder. Um, it takes place at this awesome space called The Tank. It's somewhere in Midtown West, 30, Arthur knows, because he's reading. Um, <laughs> and um, yes more details um, with Mike. Um, so I'm just going to go over the past five readers. It was Mike Frizzantes, Phil Eggers, Kim Brandon, Dan Varley, uh, Dan Varley, and Kyle Brosnahan. And we are on to Arthur Russell, who is um, a famous fixture um, in, this <laughs> in, in, in our community. He was Poem of the Year winner, Yapper of the Year, and um, he just knows how to adjust the mic just so that it fits everyone. You know. Give it up for Arthur Russell. That was almost uncomfortable. Um, so, Shira? Shira? Oh, I wanted to thank her again. Phil? That was. Oh, God, that's fuck him. <laughs> I was going to say I loved his poem. This is called, this is called Today. 
I wish that I could be there at the gates of your old age to calm the fears that I am having as I pass through mine, or to let people know that you haven't lost your shit when you refer to yesterday as today. I'd tell them you've been doing it all your life, how we tried to correct you in grade school when you told us what the teacher said yesterday, and we'd say, darling, was that today? And you'd say, yes, and we'd say, you know the difference between yesterday and today, and you'd give us the fish eye and say, yes, yesterday was yesterday, and today is today. <laughs> but it was the sort of crossed wire I only needed to hear once a year or so to know it was still in there. And it always showed up in the course of a narration, you telling us about your life. And you always told us so much about friends, music, work, school, boys, and we never wanted to interrupt. Just a quick, you mean today, more <laughs> statement than question. And you'd go, yeah, and then go on and tell us more beautiful details of your wonderful life. It had been a good long while since I'd heard it last week, two months into your first job after college while giving you a ride to the bus and catching me up. You said your boss had talked to you today. And I said, this morning? on the phone, and you said, yesterday. I've been thinking about it ever since. There were other peculiarities in your childhood speech. You called magazines, mazagines, and <laughs> bananas, bleenanas. And you said, set your bed, instead of make your bed. And you were mad at us for not having corrected you because you'd argued with your roommates at college, relying on the authority of our family's usage when they asked you what the hell it meant to set your bed. <laughs> and you were embarrassed, and we were abject. And anyway, all those things got worked out. Bananas are bananas, magazines are magazines. And whether you do it or not, making your bed is making your bed. And we, your divorcing parents, still confer on these salient points. Thursday, we eased into our discussion of alimony by chatting briefly about whether you were being completely honest about the anxiety you feel on your job and whether you lied when you said you keep a journal. <laughs> I told mom that you'd called yesterday, today. And she did this thing with her eyes and hands that I recognized from our years together, raising the eyebrows, like opening her eyes wide and placing her hands flat on the table with pursed lips, a way of conveying a complex emotion including acceptance, resignation, love, restraint, amusement, and nobody's perfect, meaning us, not you. Sometimes I wonder if there is a philosophical component to this yesterday-today mix-up, whether it's a mix-up at all or just your honest ability to see, given the billions of years since creation and 10,000 of human history, that it makes no sense to place such singular importance on one particular overnight period between yesterday and today. I wonder because that's how dadship works. I have to consider that the whole world might be wrong, and only you know that there's no real difference between the past and the present, like what Faulkner said about how the past isn't over, it isn't even past. I'd prefer to think not. I'd prefer to think that you're not exceptional in that way. 
I'd prefer to think that I had you figured out from the earliest days when you played store owner with your mom and me as customers, and you provided us with dialogue to say when we came into your store, and corrected us when we went off script, because you wanted things done only one way, <laughs> your way. But you promised it would be fun. <laughs> I'd prefer to think, as you said, that yesterday is yesterday, and today is today. And one little wire in your beautiful head got crossed. And if I were there when you got old, I'd let the people know that you haven't lost your shit when you say yesterday instead of today. Very beautiful, Arthur. The next reader is um, a friend and um, member of a poetry collective I'm in, the Sweet Action Poetry Collective, and I haven't seen her perform here in a while. I'm glad she's back. Judy Schneider, give it, Schneier, give it up for Judy, please. I'm not as tall as Julia. Sequester it. I realized I should learn more about carbon sequestration for my upcoming climate change anxiety presentation. I have no dates, venues, or participants, but I'm sure they will arrive. I'll use my slides to create a narrative arc that takes folks in, then out of despair, towards cautious, contingent, uncertain hope, if they are environmentally aware and act effectively. They have to earn their hope, Greta explains. I paraphrase. Even then, no promises. Still, it's better to try than not, even if it is too late at night, I think about how unreal it is, though I've read articles, even books, and watched a million video clips. If you don't do that, it's still something you can skip here in New York. But I'm drawn to disaster. I like the mission of messenger to shore up my self-esteem to make people look at me and listen. If only I'd cooked up this extravagant catastrophe to get attention. It's really upsetting that I didn't. <laughs> it should be too much to say the end of the world as we know it. It should be hyperbole. Mm. But unless we retrofit and switch to wind and solar while sucking in CO2 to spit in carbon sinks, it won't be hyperbole. It stinks, and I'm afraid it's more than folks will believe. Plus, asking them to behave, eat less meat, don't fly, turn down the heat, no more SUVs. They elected the Donald to call it a hoax. Should I be surprised Franzen calls it the end of hope? The New Yorker published my response, though they've rejected all my poems. <laughs> Franzen doesn't offer reality, he offers defeat. I know he may be right, but I'll sequester that deep. Thank you, Judy. That was Judy Schneier. Um, the next reader, um, what's that? I have to give the phone number again. All right. Thanks, Arthur, for reminding me. I was going to do this like. The names of the poems I can't give you, but um, I will repeat. 
I've been repeating every five poets, and I will repeat very soon again. But for now, the number is 718-374-1953. Me giving this number right now does not mean that you're supposed to vote now, because you are supposed to wait until every poet has read. Of course. 718-374-1953. But do not vote right now. <laughs> Wait until the end. Um, the, next, the next reader has um, left um, his mark just before I became Paul. What, what, what's, what's the title? I'm the Yarmor <laughs> <I'm the yarmor laughs> of the Year. <laughs> <laughs> I was also poem of the year award winner, so I got confused. Um, really, yeah. <laughs> so, um, but he has also been taking amazing photographs the entire evening, and um, someone's going to take a picture of him tonight. I guess it's going to be me on my iPhone, and his name is Bill Livingston. Please yeah. give it up for him. Keep it going for Julia. Thank you, Rob. Yeah, I'm the guy with the big camera going, click, 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 click. <laughs> it's an old camera. Um, so I finally got my ass to a workshop. Um, it's, uh, it was Jessica Greenbaum's uh, yeah. The Great Unknowns. And um, this is birthed from that. It's called For the Peonies. Forsythia, roses, milkweed, and peonies made up the jungle of my backyard. Let's throw some fertilizer on all of the myths. They say a woodpecker would peck your eyes out if you picked a peony. Never saw a bird more exotic than a robin in our soot-covered Pennsylvania railroad town. Never saw nymphs hiding in the thick mass of their petals. My myths and legends lived amongst the constellations. Peony, the first bisexual entity next to the earthworm I ever encountered. Named after Pian, physician to the Greek gods, Zeus saved him by turning him into the flower to escape Asclepius, his insanely jealous teacher. My small town teachers were never so interesting, full of hate or vengeful. Peony associated with a disregard for consequence. The unopened buds often fell victim to my baseball bat bef <laughs> before the petals showed themselves within their short season. I was a little monster with a disregard for consequences. With each swing, I'd scatter the giant black ants that would strangely attach themselves to the unopened blooms like parasites. What was the attraction? Replaced by bees making love to the circle of stamen and reaping the pollen in the lucky ones who survived my wrath. Then I'd open a milkweed, set free the fish-like seed cluster, and release the fairies into the wind. All on the side of the garage that didn't host my mother's prize roses. I didn't appreciate the peonies, but I feared the roses that drew blood and caused pain every time I fell into their thorny stems. I once picked a bouquet of peonies for Mother's Day for my mother, and she screamed at me, more pain and bloom for this eight-year-old jungle boy. I never saw peonies in a vase. They never made it into the house or anywhere. I never truly appreciated peonies until 40 years later when I'd pay $75 for four of them in Brooklyn for my wife on Mother's Day. 
watching as they would open larger and larger until their petals would fall on the third day. Only then did I see their colors. We let the petals fall, the pinks, the reds, the magentas. We let the blossoms die, and they would find new life as I'd sculpt them into a heart on her placemat with B plus K in the middle until she had to nourish herself with something other than my love. Peonies, <laughs> you've gotten me into trouble, and then you saved me. Thank you. was Bill Livingston. The next reader um, is the other half of the pair that's sharing um, the current title of Poem of the Year Award winners. Um, they also were among the winners um, of the um, Walt, Whitman, Walt Whitman Bicentennial Contest. And um, give it up for Constantine Jones. Hi, friends. Um, can I say, first of all, thanks for um, being here and staying. Anybody that like does poems with their evening voluntarily, you're my kind of people. So sincerely, thank you for <laughs> this. I love you. Yeah, I love it. Um, I was going to do, if you, know, if you know me, I'm doing this project um, called Death Medley Blues, and I had this whole shit prepared. I was going to do a thing for you, but Shira's pre-yop like, uh magic that she worked was so wonderful that I'm actually going to do a weird thing and just read you that yep. instead. Yeah. But um, if you're curious about um, death medley blues uh, or just have nothing to do on Wednesday, uh, Shira and I are actually reading together at Word Bookstore in Greenpoint um, at 7 o'clock uh, with Rosebud Benoni uh, and somebody else who I've not met but I'm sure is wonderful. Um, so yeah, anyway. I don't know what this is, but I'm calling it uh, Even Cowgirls Get the Blues Sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> this was months after the fatal stabbing in the park by the New York City school where I teach, but weeks before the administration reprehensibled our country again. But the tour guide at the distillery was so good at telling about wooden slats that go in the oak barrels that before my sister had passed the crystal glass half-sipped and before Daddy-O drank the best one first and Ma still doing the camera flash thing in the glass tasting room, I had decided to come home with one of the nice bottles for Joey and me, for the house. For the house had split the tinfoil coin from the Vasilopita with the Panaya. That's God's mother in Greek, God's Ma. Would he have thought to call her when he made it home safe? Did he call her at all, or was there trouble on the line? The CD screech, screech, screeching in the boombox till it finds that exact Loretta Lynn track. Who might have sang it? Who might have sang it best? But whose version of Blue Kentucky Girl, which was written for her, didn't keep spinning in my ma's car this last trip home, as long as Emmylou's version, from a year when Ma and Daddy-O hadn't yet have met. Anyway, whoever found the wallet I dropped somewhere in Kentucky that day, good luck, even if the cards aren't canceled. Thank you, Constantine. So before we go on to the waitlist, I'm just going to repeat all the names um, of the poets who have read so far. That right now was Constantine Jones. Before that, we had Bill Livingston, Judy Schneier, 
Arthur Russell, Mike Frizzantes, Phil Eggers, Kim Brandon, Dan Varley, Kyle Brosnahan, Madeline Phillips, Todd Friedman, Tim Gerber-Fleury, Kyla Schwab, Harvey Saz, Brenda Mara, Alan Ritberg, Robin Romeo, Bonnie Billet, Gerald Wagner. All right. So we have tons of people on the wait list and we got a um, 20 minute warning um, 20 minutes ago from Brazil, but um, we'll try to <laughs> squeeze in um, a few, uh, at least a few people. Um, is Lily Greer here? Yes? Okay. Yeah, there you go. Thank you for the constant clap. Okay. Hello. Um, so this piece is called Asking for Answers. All right. Hello, I have a few questions for you. Where do people pee? Where do they shower? Where do they play? And how many facilities are there for how many detainees? Hold on, to clarify, you say there is an outrageously high number of children, families, and individuals where? Oh. They are imprisoned by the US government at the southern border for no reason other than being dream seekers, asylum seekers, flesh, bone, heart pumping, mother birthed human beings. Is that right? Did your lip just quiver when you rang out yes? Are the children cold when they sleep? If I were to enter what looks like a cage and touch my palm upon her cheek, would it be chilled? Would her eyes look into my eyes and would I see a girl brave beyond my lifetime and yours combined? Would I see a girl so afraid of a future that should be hers to define? Do you cut people's hair? How often are people offered water? How often are meals served? Are there games? Is there natural light? If I asked a five-year-old how many days it has been since they saw a tree, would they be able to count that number on one hand? Where do mothers breastfeed? Can a mother breastfeed her baby? Where are the babies born? Are the babies cold? How many children do you hear coughing? Do they see a doctor? Are they smiled at? Do they smile? Are they cared for? What is your definition of care? Do you kiss your child at night before they lay their eyes to dream? Do you read your baby boy to sleep and hold them tight? Can all mothers and fathers and loved ones do the same, you know, in there when you know they are imprisoned? When will they be freed in the name of their innocence? Aren't we human? Aren't we humane? Where are the answers? Where are the children? Where is the justice we sow into the mouths of school kids, hand to heart, facing our flag? Do you have the answers? We, all, uh, we are all immigrants. We know who is truly native to this land. Who had enough of a god complex to grant themselves power to take ash to earth and carve a bloodline of separation? We should be a welcoming people, don't you think? That was Lily Greer. Greer or Greer? Either one. Wait, wait. <laughs> Sarah Weck, are you here? Yeah? yeah? Oh. All right. I didn't think I was going to go either, so I just picked it. <laughs> All right. This one's called Portrait of a Nude Portrait Drawing with My Not Ex Girlfriend. <laughs> okay. <laughs> 
Here we go. Eyelids, nose, chin, throat. I draw the subject in the order of my tics. Charcoal, ash, stutter, blush. The model tilts her chin up, her naked form exposing nothing, and I betray my skin with a soft constriction. Nipple, buzz, ancient, hush. I lip twitch when all 200 artists and pretenders burst a laugh at the Jesus saved us that ticks between AM and FM, and I am not for guarding movements. I flutter as the moth does, coming in from the patio, to fly above the hundreds of portraits, to see what the gods see, and kiss the fractured mess of twitching lips. Thanks. I'm not that tall. Um, thank you, that was Sarah Weck, right? Okay. So I don't know how, many, how much time we have left, but I do um, want to go at least to the third person on the list, who is Shara Hardison. This is great. Thank you. <laughs> All right. This is a draft I've been working on. Here we go. O'Donnell's laws of cartoon motion state that at any given moment, there exists a giant mallet behind your back in case of emergencies. Should a hungry wolf in your vicinity begin to see you as a walking turkey dinner? In such uncertain times, you must understand that things are as the characters expect them to be rather than how they are objectively. It is this warping of reality that allows the violence to read as a punchline. And yet for some reason, you expect the hunter to point the gun at you but never the rabbit from behind. Staggering contradiction is another widely accepted law. Even though everything here is backwards, somehow after all these years, you're still surprised by it. If only you could paint yourself a way out, but the rules clearly state anyone who paints a hole in the wall to trick an opponent will be unable to follow through into that theoretical space. As O'Donnell explains, this is a problem of art, not science. You look up wanting so much to believe in something bigger but this is precisely the moment you're crushed by a baby grand. How is anyone supposed to make friends around here with piano keys for teeth? You've been clobbered, catapulted, flayed, burned, blown up, evaporated, launched into the stratosphere, and accordion pleaded too many times to count, but you're only ever afforded a moment's self-pity before re-inflation fully restored by an unseen force with a pencil, an eraser, and too much time on their hands. It is not benevolence, but regeneration to prolong suffering. Maybe if you burst through this wall, you'll leave what the experts call a silhouette of passage. Maybe if you let yourself get scared enough and move your legs fast enough, all this fleeing will turn to flight. But as for now, you'll just continue to cling to the chandelier until the fuse on the dynamite stick beneath you burns out or blows the house down. If only you could get out of your head long enough to laugh. Maybe if you accidentally step off this cliff and don't look down, you'll keep walking for a while. Thank you. Thank you, Shara.
All right, so last time Bill Livingston was guest emceeing, he made it through the entire um, waitlist. I'm not going to get there. But um, is Foster Jolie here? Yeah. All right. Okay. Hello. <laughs> my name is Fausta. I'm visiting from London. I run my own poetry nights in London, if you're ever there. It's under Jolie Licks. And I want to thank Shara and Shira for being my navigators in this amazing open space. And I've got a poem for you about glitter. Glitter in the gutter. Did I make you splutter? Glitter bomb, glitter thong, glitter on the dawn, glitter on the moon, glitter on the fun, glitter gun, glitter fun, glitter out of bad tricks, glitter on the floor, lies, glitter rave, glitter for days, glitter shimmer, shimmer. Glitter in the gutter. Is there a unicorn on the loose? A glitter shaman, glitter factory explosion? So now the gutter be full of glitter. Glitter top, glitter, glitter rati, glitter ball, glitter bum, glitter up. Glitter, wow! Glitter on my shoulders, don't want it on my tongue. Glitter on my tongue. Glitter in my crevices, glitter marks my messes, glitter race, glitter post, glitter gutter, shimmer, shimmer! Thank you. All right, that was the January open mic yab and workshop. Thank you so much, everyone, to be here. Before you go, um, here's the number one more time it's 718 374 1953. I also um, do want to uh, draw your attention to the upcoming registration deadline for Laura Eve Engel's single session workshop on writing in the new year, which is on January 19th, um, with the class on January 26th. I don't know what that means. Um, look it up online. Um, <laughs> Laura Eve Engel's workshops are amazing. so. Um, Check that out. There are also fellowship um, fellowships that Brooklyn Poets gives out to people um, in in financial need. So um, you can apply for that. You have to send in a few um, sample poems, and there is a process. You can look this up online. I highly recommend it. I once received one, and um, it's really great because you get to um, take one um, workshop for free. Um, the deadline for applications is coming up on January twenty sixth. Um, for the um, workshops that are upcoming, there's an early registration deadline that ends on February 2nd. It's um, $15 of the workshops. Um, of the workshops. Um, the next job is on February 10th. It's always the second Monday of the month. Um, you see how many more people wanted to read, and I'm very sorry that you guys didn't get to read. But if you sign up right now, because um, these things fill up incredibly fast, so do it as soon as you can, and then you have a great chance of being on the list. Um, what else? Uh, what else? Julie Hart, who could not be here, who was also a regular and a poem of the uh, yapper of the year, and um, and and a mentor and a teacher, she will be guest emceeing um, the February yap and. Um, Thank you all. A big applause to every one of you. What? Take, Arthur tells me to tell you to take your glasses downstairs, please. Thank you very, very much. Bye-bye. Okay, there you have it, the Brooklyn Poets Yop open mic for January 13th, 2020. 
Thanks to our illustrious professor, Shira Ehrlichman, for leading the workshop and kicking off the open mic. Shira is just blowing up the world right now with her amazing new book, Ode to Lithium. It's one of the best books I read last year for certain. Uh, for sure, I just said for certain. That's how sure and certain I am that uh, that book is 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 that good. So I highly recommend recommend that you go out and get it. Shiro will be reading for Brooklyn Poets, our Brooklyn Poets reading series, on February 20th at the Brooklyn Public Library, along with Roberto Carlos Garcia and the amazing Patricia Smith. That is co-presented by the Brooklyn Public Library as part of BPL Presents. And is also a stop on the Soul Sister Review Anthology Compilation Tour. Thanks as well to Yopper of the Year, Julia Knobloch, for stepping in for me and guest emceeing. She did an amazing job. Thanks to all of my staff who were there to hold down the fort. It's a very complicated event uh, to run. Uh, it takes someone as OCD as me, really, to manage all these details and to, and to do it without losing uh, your mind. So uh, I applaud Josephine Blair, Kendall Thomas, and Renee Kay for uh, doing an amazing job uh, running the event all on their own. Thanks as well to Bill Livingston for taking photos of the event and kicking ass as usual. Congrats to longtime yawper Phil Eggers for winning Yop Poem of the Month for his poem, I Dreamt of You Again Last Night. Phil has been coming to the Yop for a very long time and kicking ass, and we're excited that he has finally won Yop Poem of the Month. It's been a long time coming, and he will be in the Poem of the Year Smackdown at the end of the year. Phil, incidentally, is also an amazing karaoke singer. If you ever need someone to join your karaoke party and just uh, be fun and awesome. Our next Yop comes your way on Monday, February 10th, the second Monday of the month. It will be led by Brooklyn Poets Professor Julie Hart, also a former Yawper of the Year. More info for the Yawp is at brooklynpoets.org. Thanks again for listening, and we will see you next time. Take care.